0: Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, Brett Bartholomew is interviewing me, Rob Pacey, host of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So, welcome to episode 200 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So after much deliberation, I decided to ask Brett Bartholomew to interview me for this episode of the podcast. So over the last year, I've been getting quite a few requests and speaking to quite a few people who've said, why don't you do? Uh, why don't you get interviewed and get someone to uh, talk to you about your background and what you think about certain subjects, where the podcast came from, where the podcast's gonna go, what's the future hold, etc. So hopefully this episode outlines a couple of them questions. So in this episode, we discuss um, personal development versus professional development. We discuss the podcast, where it came from, why it was set up, what the future holds, all everything along them lines. And a little bit about my background and how I've tried to leverage my background to... um, to move things forward into what's happening in the present day, so ho- hopefully it's going to be enjoyable. I really enjoyed doing it, um, certainly out of my comfort zone, uh, and exactly why I asked Brett to do it because I know that I knew that he would um, he would force me out of that comfort zone and and ask some difficult questions for me to answer. So really enjoyed it. Hope you enjoy it as well. I'd love any sort of feedback. And just before we do get into the episode, thank you very much for all the amazing support over the last nearly five years of the podcast and I never thought I'd get to 100 never mind 200 so it's a real uh, pleasure to be able to do this every week speak to people from all corners of the world uh, and I've met some really great friends along the way and colleagues obviously so uh, over to episode 200 of the podcast hope you enjoy and would love your feedback
1: yeah, I mean, I'll keep it pretty clean. I don't know, you know, I don't, I
0: don't want, I don't want
1: your audience, which is a very educated audience, I might add. Um, I don't want them feeling too uh, insulted if the topics got a little crazier. I give you, if, if I give you a little, <laughs> little too much, so, but now, there's gonna be some things that are gonna be out of bounds. So if you're the sensitive type, probably don't want to listen to this episode.
0: And it might involve dog shitting on people's carpets. I don't want to so. talk about that. It. It's a sensitive
1: subject, and it ruined my Sunday. <laughs>
0: So I guess the best place to start would be to um, for me to give a bit of background on myself.
1: You brought me on to interview
0: you. Let me talk about the best place to start here, Rob. Okay, go for it. Go for it. You awesome go for it. Boom.
1: Usually where people fast forward anyway. You know, people say, <laughs> oh, i get into your background. Somebody goes, well, I was born in 1983. I blue eyed. <laughs> Virginia, we're like, we like, don't give a shit. Um, but you know, it would be valuable just because you're an international man of mystery. You know what? What did drive you to do this podcast in the first place? And this is where I'm coming out from this, right? So when I was in the university setting here in the states, and then you and I have talked about this offline, um, it, you know, being out there, like whether it's social media, podcasts, or whatever everything, was very taboo. Um, and I bought into that wholeheartedly just because. That was the doctrine, right? Like if you're if you're doing this stuff, you're not coaching or you're not doing this. And I think we've seen that change a lot over the years, um, you know, because you find out that real practitioners and real real craftsmen, you know, somehow can manage to find the time. I always joke. I'm like, you know, we read all these books about time management and efficiency and, and all that outside of training, yet people still act like they don't have time to do these things. Um, it usually comes down to desire. So what was your primary desire behind Pod?
0: um so i'd been listening to a couple of podcasts and there was one over here in the states in the the uk um by a guy who was kind of up in the ante and the on the education side a guy called brendan chaplin and he was he was quite local to me and i was i was listening to his and he uh co um co-hosted that with nick grantham you've obviously heard of nick grantham and it was kind of going a little bit on the businessy side, and then he was doing quite a few webinars. He was doing quite a few online conferences, and he'd gone down the um, kind of using webinars to to push his own brand and push his own product, which was the which was the online conference, which he did quite a few of. And one of the one of the things that he spoke about was was exactly that using webinars, and then that made me think. Maybe I could do something like this. Maybe I could do a a podcast. I think I could do this. I could definitely do this. So, kind of convinced myself that that was the right thing to do, with no real prior agenda, apart from thinking this is quite a cool way to speak to people. Um, I reckon I could do it. So, iPhone at the ready, not knowing anything else um, was out there in terms of kind of this kind of kit that we're re- we're recording on today, and just got my iPhone and and. Uh, Contacted a few people that I knew, and I guess looking back, the only agenda I had was to get people to speak to me. And I thought that I needed a a reason for them guys to speak to me rather than me just finding a number or finding a an email address and, and chatting to them. So I thought everyone's everyone's got a, everyone had a, a website to push a a book to sell a um, you know a product whatever that may be. And if I could have them speak to me, on obviously recorded for half an hour, I'd give them 10 minutes, 15 minutes for an audience I didn't have um, to speak about their product. And I think that kind of worked at the start. But very quickly, I realized that these guys weren't particularly, they they were happy to push their product or whatever it may be. But they were just happy to chat. And I was probably oblivious at the time, but thinking back, there was some really nice guys. Like There was some really nice guys right at the start who happily give up their time just to talk about, like you said at the start, who they were, what they were doing, what kind of work they were doing, where they were doing it, and their views on some topical issues that were at the time and probably still are very selfish. So then that kind of progressed to, um, to me realizing that I had a degree and that was pretty much it. Didn't know anyone and I thought, okay, this is kind of a great way to build a network. So that kind of that was another agenda that I had right at the start. And then probably 25, 30, 35 episodes in, thought, people are actually listening to this. And it's probably bigger than me just getting some contacts and talking some nonsense on a on a podcast. And then it kind of took a bit of a life of its own and very quickly went from every two weeks to every 10 days to uh, to every week. And it's been every week for three and a half, four years. Coming up to its five year birthday, or uh, in December, end of December. So that was it, really. And there was, as it's kind of progressed, there's been, there's been the kind of selfish agenda. I think has moved away, and it's been less about building contacts and just about building the entity that it's that it's become. And I suppose now it's it's just something that I really enjoy doing. It's uh, it's done all them things that I wanted to do at the start, but without but just organically. So the network has grown, um, obviously due to the people I've on, like yourself and made friends out of it that I've, you know, that I keep in contact with who've been on the podcast and bringing friends back on the podcast and stuff like that. So it's it's become infinite, infinitely bigger than I would ever imagined at the start, which is, which is really cool looking back on it. Like five years ago, doing it on my iPhone and then actually getting interested in the, audio side of things and like all the stuff you have to do when you're kind of one man band in anything really getting to know about different mics and like I'm sat here with some acoustic cool acoustic foam on the wall that my girlfriend is absolutely delighted to have there um, just to make the audio a little bit better so it's all these kind of things that have spawned off the back of it from looking back a bit of a selfish endeavor to build some contacts and talk some people. So yeah, I think that's, that's about it really. It's uh, it's been a cool journey, which is an interesting segue. Cause you
1: <laughs> well, one, I remember when, when we first did uh, the podcast together, like when you had me on, I was still working at athletes performance at the time and I had a particularly crazy week. I think I had, you know, six groups a day. I was gone during the weekend, whatever, and you had reached out, but our schedule is really limited. So you don't know this, but I literally had to finish a group I sprinted into a conference room um, uh, to like set up a computer, do this, do that. Little did I know there was like a meeting there from the business end uh, of athletes performance. They needed the conference room. So like they're pounding furiously on the door and I'm like, mute. I'm muting my phone. I'm muting everything I can to try to make sure that like nobody hears the pounding. And then I'm answering them. I'm like, I think it was one of, you know, because it was one of the first podcasts that I had done and I just didn't have a situation where like at that, at that point I was always coaching. Always coaching, you know, and um, that was the life that I wanted. I wanted to be on the floor all the time, but you know, I started to realize, like, all right, I might be limiting the impact here, right? And I think you've probably seen this, and I'm going to ask you about it over your evolution of like you as an athlete, you as a coach, like what what made you want to start doing this? How did you view it before? And and even more importantly, like how has it evolved in terms of the guests that you've had on the show? Maybe. Uh, over these five years, having some guests that perhaps were a bit more reticent, were scared that if they said something their club or their boss or superior or peers, you know, would get wind of it and, and give them some trouble to, to now where, I mean, I think you'd agree that for the most part, people are a lot more transparent on the whole. I think you still get, uh, of course, some people that act like there's a secret or they have something figured out and, and they tend to get redundant or speak surface level um, because there is that fear of like, oh man, if people find out what I can do or what I do, I'm not quote unquote special anymore. And I think our industry often misses that it's not really what you do. It's how you do it. Uh, that's just coaching in general. And, and the more we tend to try to dive into esoteric information about one answer, the farther we get away from understanding coaching as a whole, because that's just not how it works. So, you know, to, to siphon that back in, how is your attitude towards being a little bit more visible, a little bit more present changed? And how have you seen other coaches who you've interviewed evolve um, or, you know, the information that they're actually willing to share evolve over the last five years of you doing this?
0: Mm-hmm. I think at the start, it got probably viewed as... Um, it's a really nice gesture to to want to come on a podcast and be asked to come on a podcast and talk about what they were doing. And then as the audience grows a little bit, people become, okay, that's really nice to be asked, but I'm not quite sure I'm up for it because for a number of reasons, whether I ask something that they're not comfortable in answering and they're not comfortable in answering it because they're not 100% sure about it. They are unsure of how that's going to be viewed by the audience. But I think more importantly, how that's going to be viewed in their department at, at their institution or their club and how that might come across as if well, there's been a couple of instances where I've spoke to people privately and obviously what we'll mention the names but who've been quite cautious because of their how they're perceived in their so they're there, in their job so the head department may not want to come across as in it's all about them and I think that's something that has cropped up quite a few times and we've had to kind of work together to not manipulate things, but go down a certain route that doesn't hold them in that light or potentially hold them in that light to their, the staff who are below them. But, but I think, I don't mean to interject, but here's one question. Yeah. I
1: haven't Right. Like, I get that. And, you know, you, you have to, it's always about the team and the organization. Nobody works in a vacuum, especially when you're training the guys, you know, even if it is just you, um, and you're in a unique kind of private sector situation, like you still have athletes that, you know, and, and people that you might outsource to or people that you might, um, you know, refer out to is what I mean. The interesting thing is though, like, why does that, I, I feel like, you know, every virtue can become a vice, even humility. And there's some folks that's like, what has happened to human communication where you can't say, you can't just say it once and people get it. Meaning, Hey, first off, I work as part of a great staff. A lot of people here contribute to the success of, of everything and, and the whole environment the holistic nature of the process. I'm grateful to be a part of it. Um, and then move on. Like, why do you feel like every five seconds, you know, people feel the need to you almost validate this or, or you know what I mean? Because it's almost like when you watch somebody who's very, very educated and very well-spoken and, and very talented at what they do, and they consistently refer to themselves as like the dumbest person in the room or some other kind of self-deprecating humor, like once or twice, it's very honest, it's honorable, um, it can even be endearing. But when they continue to do it, it's almost kind of like, all right, man, you're kind of playing to the audience now. Like, can you just, we get it, you're humble, you're part of a team, like get into the meat of this and let's have some real answers. Like, does that ever bug you? Cause I'll be transparent. That that would bug the heck out of me. If I was a, a host, I'd just be like, it sounds like you got a great team, you know? And I know you're one part of it, but I am interested in your journey. You know, I don't I don't feel like that that takes away from the team. You know, if anything, if, if you hire, I know if I were to hire somebody today and they were incredible and they did a great job Good teammate, what have you? I would want them to be known. I would want them to share information. I mean, uh, businesses do that all the time. They talk about how, and I know Facebook's a a sore subject right now, and I'm not a big user of it, but um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg hired Sheryl Sandberg because she fit a lot of quotas he didn't have. He's not ashamed to say that, and that doesn't degrade the company. So, you know, does that ever bug you when you can't get over that hump? And I mean, no offense to the people that have been on. I mean, I. I dealt with that same thing, too, when we were in kind of a corporate organizational culture at a previous job where, like, if they ever caught wind of you kind of doing this, it was kind of this, like, well, now everybody else is going to ask to do it. And, you know, you lose sight of fairness to everybody's fairness to nobody kind of thing. But how do you manage that and, and get them from an interviewing standpoint to kind of get past that and start opening up with useful
0: information? Mm-hmm. I think there's been, there's been a couple of podcasts in the past that I can think of. Uh, the the guy the, the guest almost apologized afterwards and said, um, "Really sorry, I, I just couldn't be as open as I maybe wanted to be right in, in this in this interview," and and kind of justified why we haven't been able to open up and stuff. And I, I it's difficult because I, I completely get it, um, but I think definitely there's a there's lots of differences between a, a European guest slash English guest UK and a, a I probably lump in. Australia with that, with a US guest and a US audience, um, and I think in in the US, from just from my experience, um, I think people have been a lot, lots, a lot more scared of of saying things that they shouldn't because of the potential wrath of an organisation. There's been quite a few guests that I've tried to get on that have not been able to come on because of you know contract, even contractual things and and potential for like a, a media getting hold of it and a, and a and a backlash. I don't know who the hell the think this podcast goes out to, but um been scared of that situation. Yeah, uh, I think it's, are you are sure right? the Freemasons and Illuminati as exactly. listeners. <laughs> exactly. It's fucking crazy. You're right to
1: that. I mean listen, when I when I left the, the team setting and I didn't make some choice like, oh the team setting's not for me anymore. You know, I was coming out as a graduate assistant. And I applied for three jobs, two university jobs, because I was already working in collegiate athletics. And then one private sector job as a fail safe, because, you know, there were a lot of great opportunities there and people to learn from. And, you know, I I remember, and and this is a topic we'll get to later, but it's very common here when you hear a job open, it's actually, it's actually already filled. The the university or the institution just has to put it on the, uh, you know, the NCAA board or some other board to kind of go through the HR, you know, square dance um and so i remember one time they're like hey it's already filled i'm like you guys just posted it today and they're like yeah we filled it internally and then another one i remember i made it to the final selection for and then that coach and everybody else under them got fired and that was that and then boom you know private sector but uh, the point being you're not wrong like when i when i ended up telling my boss at the time hey i'm i'm gonna be taking this job he's like is it in the private sector and i said yeah you know i applied for some other jobs didn't really get in he's like you know you'll never get back in the team setting, right? When you leave, which of course isn't true. And I think it's important for any listeners of yours to know that isn't true. Like there have been team opportunities for myself and plenty of other people that have left the the, the team setting for various circumstances to begin with. But that that environment was very much like, yeah, don't don't say this. We don't want you. Like it's it's interesting because in, in the States it, it was like, you know, when when strength and conditioning really kicked off. Here, like within the collegiate football environment, you had some people that were more powerlifting focused, right? Like Westside Barbell, what have you. And then others that were more weightlifting based or Olympic based. And it almost started as these two audiences fighting. Well, they do this at this school. We do this. We're better. You know, and eventually that evolved into this person does that. We do better. And now it's, well, this sector does that. We, this sector of the industry does better. Um, and it is very odd. Like nobody, nobody here wants to talk too much about what they do because they're scared that somebody else is going to take something and run with it. And you get to a point, you know, just from my own learning of it, where like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like if somebody, come watches a se- if somebody comes and watches a session of mine, which anybody's always open to do, I let them know, you know, what what we're doing, why we're doing it, what we're not doing, why we're not doing it, you know, and, and go from there. And it's, you know, if that person wants to jump to conclusions and make something out of it, like, it is what it is. You know, you're not going to tell other people how to think. So, I get it. You know, at the same time, like, and, and this is just me being hard nosed. I, I have friends in various settings as you do. I, I haven't really heard of many teams actually enforcing that. Hey, there's a strict, you know, social media like podcast ban. Like maybe social media, like don't get on Twitter or things like that. But never really heard of somebody be like, hey, you can't, you can't say one word about what we do. And if that's the case, like, is that really a true learning environment? Like, are we, are we curing cancer? You know, like are we doing anything where like, what's somebody gonna learn that somebody's using a LARC uh, sleep monitoring band instead of ready band or that they've got a newer updated version of Omega Wave or you know, man, this uh, this OptiJump versus this uh, this this system is you know, like what are these secrets? You know, you would think that we're curing some in uh, some incredible and, and, and like self-importance of it, the reason it always gets me up in arms is the self-importance of it goes against everything strength coaches say they're about. They say they're about being a leader. They say they're about being for the athlete, being for the organization, staying in the background. But then there's this self-importance that kind of shrouds itself in this veil of anonymity. Uh, and I'm not talking about everybody. I'm just talking about industry as a whole. Like, would you agree with that or am I way off base? Um, you cannot yeah. agree with
0: that, it. it's fine. I mean, no, it no, no, no. It gets combated in some instances over here. Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think we've probably – I think, like I said before, I would group, to a certain extent, the UK, from only from my experience, this may be you know completely off, but from my experience uh, alongside the Aussies, people like David Joyce, um, who were actively pushing. I mean, David got, uh, Joyce got Lachlan on, um, Jeff Spendlove on, uh, the two physios on. Um, he was actively going, Rob, can I get these guys on? because it's great for their development to come on and be asked some questions. They've got to justify what they do. And I think that I've found that um, more so with the, with the kind of Aussie, less so UK, but certainly Australian guys who've been very forthcoming in saying, I need my staff to come on. No, to totally. this- I agree. I guess my point with the
1: mention in the U S was you had said that was the particular audience that you have trouble getting some guys on because of some issues or they can't share this or, or what have you. So I agree. I think the Aussies do a great job and, and Joycey and all of them. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect balance of showing like, hey, we're focused practitioners on the day to day, but we're not scared to be a part of this, too. Right. Because as, as much as people want to whine about social media, it's kind of like going to the beach and saying, man, I'm really tired of the waves. I wish the waves would ki- quit coming in on the ocean. It's like, mm, maybe you should just learn how to surf. You know, maybe you should learn how to swim because the waves probably aren't going to quit coming in you know, and, and social media is much of the same way. Like this stuff's going to keep going, learn how to leverage it. But my, I was referencing more the U S audience, like, you know, it, it, would, would what I described coincide with kind of what you, what you've seen.
0: Um, just explain that
1: to me again. Yeah. Just, oh, again, the reticence of it, the fear of, uh, you know, somebody figuring out some kind of secret, almost a ridiculousness of thinking like, Hey, like, what are, what are you going to share? Like you said it earlier, who do you think, who do you think's listening to this that's going to audit it? You know, like, what? what's somebody going to say? They're going to say they're using this kind of timing system or, you know, they use this kind of uh, software to, to monitor playing loads. Like, what's the big secret that everybody's so scared to share? That's the thing, right? Like, of course, you can't give out player information, right? For people that live or work in the NFL environment over here, of course, a club's not going to let you, you know, say, hey, this athlete did X, Y, and Z. Nobody expects that, you know, but... I, I guess I've just never understood. And, and from, you know, listening to some of your talks, I think you do a great job at challenging people if they're like, yeah, like, I can't say much about this. Like you, you respect, you're respectable or respective of of that distance, but then you still try to get helpful information out of them.
0: I, I just think that sometimes it can be a bit humorous. Like what's what's there to be so protective about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get you. So I think, again, with that US audience, the, the couple of conversations I've had with people who weren't, able to come on or for some reason didn't end up coming on the podcast i think they were they were scared of the hierarchy so i'm guessing the probably the general manager in the structure that we're we're kind of talking about in the us getting hold of it where i think in the uk people who have been a little bit concerned about that would would be more concerned of their kind of head of department who were they? Well, I'm guessing they would probably share an office with, or the office next door, or whatever. And it seems that when I've pushed a little bit harder, it's actually been all right. But I think, from again, only my experience, but the US, it seemed more, it seemed deeper, it seemed more ingrained in the the kind of hierarchy. And this person was probably a mystical figure that were not was in an office, you know, somewhere else, and they they didn't feel the um, they were able to go and approach them and kind of say, "This is going to be good for X, Y, and Z." So I think that for me, that's probably the, the difference between the two. But like, I, there's been a couple of occasions where people have said, "Look, I can come on, but I can't say this, this, this," and it's like absolutely perfect. Happy day. We've got a, we've got a ground from which to build here, and we can actually come to some sort of agreement that you know we get both get something valuable out of it. And I think this is where things have changed for me throughout the last. Certainly a couple of years. Where at the start, I would say, and I probably do this to you in episode 72 or whenever it was, that this is what we're going to chat about. And you would go, probably more than not, because people are nice guys and girls. Yeah, no problem, Rob. That's that's absolutely fine. Whereas in more recent times, it's been, what do you want to chat about? And I think at the first I was like, Am I just passing the book back to the person who's on the other end? I've asked them, they've said yes, and now I'm asking them again, what do you want to talk about? But I think the way I've kind of framed it, and it's not to push the book back onto them, but what are they comfortable with, first of all? Because certain people aren't comfortable with certain areas, which I may pick out as interesting in their line of work. But secondly, they might not be able to chat about certain things. And I think that's worked really well. And I think although it's added to my kind of time pressures, but I've ended up speaking to a lot of people beforehand and just having a general chat like, how's things like how's things at the club good in the weekend and we've kind of built up a bit of a rapport and then we've had a little chat about what can you say what can't you say can you push it can I push on this or shall I hold off on this and that's worked really well for the last certainly the last probably couple of years that that rapport has been built and we've actually got some real real clear guidelines of where I can go and where I can't go and I think sometimes it has been frustrating that we can't hit on certain subjects but you know i'm just trying to get the best out yeah, of the yeah. person that's on the yeah. other end so you can't you know you've got yeah, to respect yeah. that i guess
1: yeah yeah uh, no doubt and like to to build off of that and there's great detail there I, one of the things that and this is where i'm going to push you a little bit what you've been very vocal as of late on just the professional career track of strength and conditioning uh, and and you know, we come from different sides of the pond, but it's, you know, it's long been an issue over here in the States, um, you know, jobs, are almost kind of 2020 positions where they'll pay $20,000 for basically 20 hour workdays. That's the joke. Um, I, I know when I first started at Athletes Performance, there was a coach I worked under that uh, he was probably in his late 40s, early 50s, phenomenal guy I'd worked in the NFL, U.S. Uh, Olympic Training Center, uh, collegiate environment, everything that every young coach wishes they could do to really build out their resume. And at the time, I remember asking him, I'm like, man, like, that's incredible. Like, I hope I can follow the same path. He's like, yeah, well, guess what? Like, it's led me to almost getting divorced twice. And, you know, I barely got to see my kids grow up. I barely got to do this. There's a reason I'm, I I came to the private sector. And, and you'll hear it the other way, too. Like, so it's, again, it's not private versus team, what have you. Like, no, every situation is very different, right? You come over here, you go to a private sector facility in Indiana. It's going to be very different than one maybe in Arizona or Atlanta, um, just like you can go to a, a university and, and think that some big logo emblem or, or kind of just the history behind it is going to give you credibility, but you might not learn as much and, and they might be stuck in their ways. The point is, is coaches are starting to step outside of their bounds a little bit more now because they're understanding that, you know, right now the value of a strength coach as it's perceived outside of our profession is not very high. How have we contributed to the problem directly in your view? And you can speak from any frame of reference, anywhere in the world, whatever, but how have we contributed to the problem of not being taken seriously? And what are strategies you would give, like two to three very specific strategies you would give to a a coach of any age, young, breaking into the profession or 10 plus years in and absolutely burnout, fatigued, having financial difficulties. You know, and, and just trying to make it through and think what's next.
0: I think we'll go for the the last bit first. And I think the thing that I've been on the, the soapbox about recently, and it's from, it's from my experience and speaking to a lot of different people, either for the podcast privately or for my kind of nine to five, is hopefully making people realize that there is other things out there than pro sport. I just, uh, when I was, I was obviously in pro sport as a, as an athlete and well, loose term athlete, um, and kind of knew that environment. So that was always the the route that I wanted to take was go back in. And that was, that was my sole focus was to work in pro sport. There was nothing else. Obviously there's no real collegiate environment over here. You're either in pro sport or you're out. And that was always my, my goal. And just having the experience that I had. And like I said, the, the conversations I've had with people since then it's just, for me, and this is just my experience, it's not the, the golden ticket that people think it is. It's just really not. And what I've been trying to do recently is try to open up people's minds that there is other things out there. There is other ways you can slightly diversify and look left and look right and actually take a little bit of a sidestep and contribute to the the work-life balance whether it be a financial reward um all these different things that kind of get lost in the pursuit for pro sport and i think more conversations i've had with people who are in um on paper really good positions in really really good clubs who i've spoke to and they're unsure of where to go next because they've supposedly hit this pinnacle in this fantastic club but they're actually going this is a little bit shit. It wasn't what I thought it was. and But where do I go? Where do I go from here? I'm at this unbelievable club with great staff around me. I've got this qualification, that qualification, but I'm not doing that much because I'm not allowed. But where do I go? The only way from here is down in, in that kind of pyramid of the perception of what is, you know, top and bottom what's high and low so we're really conscious of leaving and going elsewhere because that would be seen as a step down and I think one thing that I would encourage and it's something that I've had well tried to do and had to do is think of ways that you can leverage where you've been and what you've got to enable you to diversify I think that's what people struggle with and I think it's the struggle of the perception of coming out of not necessarily coming out of pro sport to do something completely different but just leverage the things that the experience that you've got and the qualifications and and like I, I've, I've leveraged the whole athlete to coach thing like to death and I was not a brilliant player like at all but because I've been in that environment I've leveraged that so many times and obviously not- that a little bit like what do you
1: mean you've leveraged the athlete to coach things yeah, so grow and, um, and, and make make the most out of the situation.
0: Yeah, of course. So when I was when I was twenty, I got released from pro sport and went into part time football. But alongside the part time football, and this is kind of coming back to a little bit of the kind of podcast journey i set up a, a business of my own called coaching 24 because i was number 24 at the club so it was like i couldn't let it go so business became coaching 24 and i went back to my primary school and started doing some coaching on the side while i was playing part time and thankfully i was when i was playing it was it was decent money to not really do anything as a 19 year old so i went back to the the uh, primary school and started charging kids for football coaching and they were absolutely delighted because I was an ex-pro footballer, so that was leverage number one. And then I get, I ended up getting a couple of primary schools in the back of that because I was like, okay, my primary school wants it, so I'm guessing other primary schools want it. So then I ended up having three afternoons coaching, actually technical coaching, with primary schools and charging the kids £3.50 to do a coaching session. And I'd have like 25, 30 kids turn up. So I'm getting decent money as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old. And then I ended up coming to a... Uh, getting the attention of a a, a company that did this obviously as a a proper business and they bought my schools out from me if I went to work for them so that's what ended up happening and they they leveraged me again on the whole ex-pro footballer type of um, type of thing so I ended up going into tons and tons of primary schools with this ex-pro footballer and I think it's been that Experience in the in that environment that has enabled me to again build a network because I've had, well, I got my first internship before it was really an internship back at the club that I'd been released at because I'd kept good relationships with them when I did leave. I ended up going back as the uh, academy uh, sports scientist, at academy SNC coach. So that was kind of major leverage number two, and then everything on on the back of that has been because of or what i can see looking back has been because of that leverage from that pro football days so i think everything i can track back to that which is really interesting and i think obviously not everyone can um can do that but there's always something that i think people can leverage like this th- these couple of guys i was speaking to a couple of weeks ago who are in these unbelievable clubs but don't know how to leverage what they've done and what they've got to actually take a sidestep and if his financial um, rewards was their goal, could absolutely kill it. Could, on the, life, on the lifestyle um, part of the pyramid, probably could absolutely kill it. Job satisfaction, probably much better, but it's just that struggle for it. the transition, I think, is what people struggle with. So just before we do get into part two, hope you're enjoying part one. Just want to give a little shout out to two of the companies that are sponsoring this episode today. The first one, has some big news, and that is VAL Performance. So thank you to the guys at VAL Performance for sponsoring this episode. But the big news is, and I'm sure you've heard because it's been all over social media, that they have acquired um, Fostex. So massive news for the guys at VAL. Great acquisition for them guys to bring in not only the product, but the expertise that come with it. So, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll know that Dr. Dan Cohen and Phil Graham Smith have been on the podcast and given some unbelievable information. So, they will be moving across to the Val team, which is a fantastic, like I say, a fantastic acquisition—not only for the product, but for the for the guys that are involved. So, they'll they'll be staying involved in the company moving forwards. Um, so, if you are interested in getting to know a little bit more about the acquisition, There's some more information on the Val Performance uh, website, which is ValPerformance.com. There's also um, a a LinkedIn post from Dan Cohen to illustrate why Forstex have have teamed up with Val Performance, and there's also some um, some further information from uh, Laurie Malone, who's the CEO at Vald. Um, Again. just showcasing more information on on the acquisition. So if you want to follow them on Twitter, you can follow them on Twitter at VAL Performance. And like I say, any more information on that fantastic acquisition from the guys at VALD, head over to their website at ValPerformance.com. So just adding to that too, I want to thank Fatigue Science for also sponsoring this episode today. So if you are interested in sleep, Head over to episode 174, obviously, after you've listened to this episode, and check out the episode with Ian Dunican. So Ian talks a lot about a lot about fatigue science and the product itself. So he articulates it a lot better than I can in terms of the biomathematical modeling that is involved in the back end of the fatigue science ready band, how you're able to use that model to um, advise on sleep times when, when um, participate in long haul travel. Um, you put in the at the training time or the game time and you kind of work back from there when you should be exposed to light, when you shouldn't be exposed to light, try to maximize, sorry, minimize that uh, the impact of that travel on the subsequent performance, whether that be a game or training. So episode 174 with Ian Dunican explains that far better than I just did. Um, but yeah, Fatigue Science, thank you very much for them to spon- for sponsoring this episode. If you want to know a little bit more about Fatigue Science, the company, you can head over to their website, which is fatiguescience.com, but also follow them on Twitter at Fatigue Science. So thanks for tuning into this episode. Hope you're enjoying it. And over to part two.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times... Um I I think a lot of times coaches kind of capitulate or surrender to, to this fear of again, what's again, and I, and I only speak on this. And again, let's put this disclaimer out there. So we don't have to keep repeating it. These are our opinions as they pertain to these specific uh, kind of questions and these moments and what have you. So nobody should be offended. If you're offended, I mean, guys, we're all science-based practitioners, like point counterpoint, things like that. Context, consider all that right before before anything else but i think coaches oftentimes capitulate like in in regards to the fear and I, and i get that because i had been offered an nfl job after i had already accepted another gig which was a huge risk but i was just burnt out where i was prior and and there were some limitations on that i wasn't able in one of my employers they wouldn't allow me to write a book you know they wouldn't allow you to do certain things like people would ask me to go speak at conferences i could do a very limited amount of that you know i spoke At one job for six years and almost nobody saw that because it had to be internal. And if somebody did invite me to speak, I either had to say no, or they had to pay uh, my employer, essentially. So you had to reach out and tell them what it would cost. And people would be like, oh my God, like what are you kidding? And I'm like, hey, dude, like this isn't me. Like, I I'm I'm kind of stuck here. And and the place offered tremendous value to my career. I wouldn't be the coach or individual I was today without it, but that got suffocating. So anyway, I'd accepted another job that gave me a little bit more freedom because I believe, and I'm gonna ask you this in a moment, so kind of stored away. I believe there's a huge difference between coaching development and professional development. And I think we lump them together. They shouldn't be, because it's not the same thing, and I'll explain why in a second, but I remember I'd accepted a job that offered me a little bit more freedom. They said, I said, Hey, I want to be a little bit more involved at the industry. I love coaching and I want to continue to coach, but I also understand that I can help a lot more people than just athletes. If I help more coaches and that came from like, I didn't have a direct mentor. Nobody put their arm around me. Right. So I guess it's this void. I'm trying to fill. like I want to be a better mentor for other people. Cause I didn't have that. And I think I've made a lot of mistakes over my 32 years, and and I've done a lot of things that like put me in pretty unique, interesting circumstances very young in my career that I've been able to benefit from and leverage later on because some of those experiences people twice my age didn't get to have, right? And so the the point being though, you know, how do people really learn? Well, when I turned down that NFL role, like I thought, oh my gosh, like you said, like now anything I do is going to be perceived as a step down. And I've told you this. I literally had five voicemails from coaches I had never heard of in my life, like outcasting me, saying I was basically an awful person for turning down a job that coaches anywhere else would have loved to take. Now, they didn't consider the context. Nobody cared. Nobody knew that I had already given somebody my word and my family had moved. Didn't matter. But one of my good friends said, listen, dude, like you're you're gaining career capital. You could go to the NFL and continue to coach and what have you. But you're also limited by the CBA rules and, and you coach a lot of NFL guys right now and have much more freedom with them, you know? So yes, you're going to go learn, you'll be exposed to some more tech toys, this and that, but this other job, you're going to learn a lot more about business and to be able to coach your NFL guys and fighters and everything. And he was right. So I had to look at that because I remember one night that I was sitting in a hotel room because I was traveling when the offer came through and I thought, do I go back on my word? Now I'm from Nebraska, which is in the Midwest of the United States. And, you are brought up to consider like your word is your bond. We're very, just no nonsense, you know, do what you say kind of people. So I'm like, I can't do that, but man, I know it brings so much more credibility because you know, this, that and whatever. But ultimately my friend was right. Going and taking the other job, built a lot of career capital. I was able to coach still like, you know, four plus groups a day, learn more about the business side of things, learn more about the legal side of things. It's the only reason the book got made. I mean, if I, If I had gone to the NFL, I I think the book still would have came out at some point, but probably not with the same sense of urgency as when I went to Los Angeles and and learned some other things. So, you know, what can we do to help coaches understand the difference between coaching development and professional development with the distinction being this? I consider, you know, listening to podcasts like yours, uh, reading research articles, going to clinics and conferences that are strength and conditioning specific all these kinds of things that is that is coaching or let's just call it strength and conditioning or performance development, whatever vernacular anybody wants to use, okay? Professional development to me is understanding more nuances of leadership, influence, business, logistics, negotiation, finance, all these things that later on can not only contribute to you being more of an asset to your team and organization, but also for you and your family because you're able to now take that knowledge And dig the well before you're thirsty we talk about periodization and beginning with the end in mind but people just don't seem to approach their career like that why is that and
0: how do you think we can move that forward absolutely it's a lot there if you want me to reframe it's just no 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 no, it's all okay it's all good i've I've written a few things down so hopefully uh hopefully i can kind of prompt me with that but i think i would completely agree that we don't start with that end in mind. And I think this came back to our last conversation, maybe the conversation before, I'm not quite sure, but it was the question I asked on on Twitter. And it was, are you still going to be coaching when you're 50? And that was a question that I asked myself a couple of years ago. And again, disclaimer, this is only from my point of view and my experience. But to me, the answer was no. And that was a very clear. So, okay, so there's no strategy on the back of this. This is just the thought process that I went through. Okay, so I'm not going to be doing this exact thing when I'm 50, but how can I put things in place now to make sure that I have longevity in whatever I'm doing and be in a position where I can move left and move right and be pretty flexible in what I'm doing? So if I'm not coaching when I'm 45, there's other options, and I'm not going down that that again, that tunnel vision of of pro sport being the the be all and end all. So, I again back to the kind of coaching twenty four when I set that up. I was kind of I was filling in tax returns at twenty because I had to because I didn't, I couldn't afford an accountant to do it for me. So it was little things like that that gave me them skills. And I think from my opinion, my my kind of uh, thought process was where can I stay in this. But beyond the periphery, so I'm not, uh, I'm not in the hands of someone else that, that, that who can decide whether me or my family can pay the mortgage or not. And that was a big thing for me because um, well, it just was because trust became a, an issue in a couple of the uh, jobs that I had, and it was for, for me. It was developing them. Them um, experiences and talking to the right people to be able to go down different routes and like for instance I'm I'm, I'm signing up to a um, an online course for Adobe Photoshop because for me the design aspect is going to be uh, just another string to my bow but I think two three years ago that what you're doing like that's not going to help the here and now of coaching that person in front of you there. But it's just opening that kind of, opening that mindset of, is this going to be the be-all and end-all for the rest, you know, till you retire? And if it's not, okay, we'll backtrack. How can you put things in place to guard against someone saying to you that you're gone and you're not going to pay your mortgage or not? So that's a massively roundabout way, but that's the way I thought about it. Start with, again, like you said, start with the end in mind, is this going to happen forever? And now, what can I do to work back, put things in place, so I can still pay? I can still pay a mortgage. I can still go on holiday, and I can still eat. That was my experience.
1: That's perfect. And and you hit on you hit on a lot of good points there. You know, yours were design focused, and and your financial returns and all that. And and this this next, I I'm, I'm perfectly fine with a general answer here. General answer with specific examples, because of course you don't. <laughs> to frame the this up what i mean by that is i just put out a reading list because i've been asked for you know you always ask on social media hey what book should i read what book should i read so i'm like screw it i'm putting out a reading list it's going to have a hundred books that i think are important in my mind like it's you know i tell people like i'm not saying these are going to be everybody's favorite but i think these are critically important in, in my mind or have been influential for me and then 100 articles right so like most of the people oh thanks cool like you know cool this is great to have I get an email guy goes, Hey man, thanks for the reading list. But it would have been better if you'd tell us where to start or rank them in order of importance. Literally. <laughs> hey dude, like, you know, you try to be nice. I'm like, Hey coach, blank, blank. Thanks for your feedback. Although understand this, I don't know you. I don't know where your personal development like currently resides or your level of coach development. I don't know what country you're in. I don't know who you work with. Basically. I don't know you. So me to tell you what book to read or where to start or, you know, to rank these in a in a hierarchy in my mind would not only be negligent, but ignorant, because I'd be assuming assuming that I know what you and everybody else in this world needs. It was it was mind boggling to me. Right. But like people. So (laughs) one of my top areas of of professional development that I think a lot of uh, coaches and just anybody in general need is etiquette. I mean, it sounds silly, but just like how to behave in certain circumstances, you know, how to dress in certain circumstances, you know, this whole idea of like, it's awesome that we get to go coach in gym clothes and all that, but like, it's also not a bad idea to have a suit for a formal occasion that actually fits. It's not a bad idea when somebody invites you to go speak to at least wear some kind of collared shirt or polo or shoes that don't look like they're the same ones you mow the lawn with, you know, or anything like that, like. So, you know, I think etiquette, I think negotiation, and then, of course, like finance and and legal, I kind of throw in the same thing, are my top areas of of professional development, generally speaking, for most people. What would yours be? Where do you think, if you were to start a conference today focused on this, what three areas do you think are critical linchpins for coaches hoping to enhance their non-coaching aspects of their career? Oof. And it's okay Um, this is kind of like asking your favorite movie on the spot. So like (laughs) nobody to to take the pressure off Rob, nobody say, well, I disagree. If you see him after this, like he should just give me three things that you think are important. They don't have to be the most important, but like right now, what jumps out of your head that most people in this profession would benefit from kind of doing or upgrading, upskilling their knowledge in or practice of?
0: Uh, The first thing that comes to mind is mentoring. And I think, and this is again hundredth time from personal experience. I think having whatever whatever stage of of your career you're at is actually mentoring someone um, below you, and I think that can really that can really enhance your learning as a practitioner, but also in getting the feedback from the mentee, if that's even a word, and really enhancing your. Um, ability to lead and I think that's one thing that again coming back to my own experience now it's a bit of a funny story but I've recently had someone try to or go through the process of transcribing the podcasts so my brother who we spoke about on a previous episode had um, encouraged me to go to a a website called on uh, what is it onlinejobs.ph so it's basically Filipinos who are wanting jobs as online virtual assistants. So I was like, perfect. So I got this girl, she did a test, she was really good. And we we're going back and forth with how I wanted to communicate, well, how I was communicating what I wanted from this transcription. And I was trying to communicate this. And she was really good English. So it wasn't necessarily a language barrier. But I was struggling to actually communicate how I wanted her to do what I was paying her to do. And that, Instantly made me think, okay, everyone, and I was having another conversation with a guy only on Friday who runs a runs three physiotherapy clinics, and all he wanted was another member of staff, another member of staff, another member of staff. And all of a sudden realized I'm a terrible manager. I'm a terrible manager because I'm putting these guys in place and they're not being managed. All I'm thinking of is the short-term win of I need another member of staff. So coming back to the, the initial question was I think having mentoring someone, have someone asking you questions, and you almost managing them in a certain sense as being a mentor can have unbelievable kind of positive ramifications all the way up the chain. And I think that would probably be my, my first one um, in terms of certain things that people can get better at. And I, I think that probably would come across as I'm just thinking of people's perception now that or I'm a mentor, like where do you go for, for getting this person who's on the kind of low rung of the ladder? But it could be like an assistant in a in the same organization, it could be an assistant in a, another organization. It could be someone completely removed who's an undergraduate and just kind of talking them through the process of, I don't know, whatever it may be, getting a job or, you know, setting up an Excel sheet or whatever it may be. But I think that's a really good skill to um, develop all the way up all the way up the chain. But I think for my personal, and I, I certainly wouldn't put on a, a conference for this. But the, the design aspect for me, and I'm try, I'm going to relate it back to the coach in a minute. But for me, is key, and it goes back to the social media side of things and how people communicate information. And just thinking of Jan Lemur, like Jan Lemur is not a graphic designer, but he's made an unbelievable impact on our industry from having an interest in trying to communicate research. And he's done that through the design of his infographics. Now, that's probably ignited a lot of people's interest in, OK, this guy can communicate research in this really cool way that's completely different to what anyone's thought of before. I wonder how I could go about this. So for me, it's them kind of did certain design principles, just the basic design principles of what looks good and what doesn't. And I think that's where I'm getting an interest is just that basic stuff. Does this look good? Like, does yellow look good with green? Does red look good with blue? And communicating a message. So it's me thinking, how come, How can I communicate the key messages of a podcast in an image? Okay, I need to know what looks good and what looks terrible. Uh, back to the coaches. How are you delivering a report to a coach? Like everyone's been there of, of delivering the the report of twenty thousand numbers, and the coach think saying. What the fuck are you doing like what is this so it all relates back to actually what's presentable how can you present information in an interesting and clear way um is what i'm kind of going through at the minute and i think it would be an incredible incredible um skill to have and people are people i know organizations that are employing people to do that designers to be able to do that so it's not as if it's a completely remote from the industry because it's certainly certainly not so yeah they're the two, two I know you yes for three but i've got two the kind of mentoring aspect and for me personally and um across the industry design aspect yeah, that's all well and good rob but tough shit you still gotta answer the third one uh, um we'll come back to it we'll come back to it i'll have a thing
1: well, i mean when you you said that in your own personal experience you know having to deal with financial reports and understanding the back end of like, that was huge i mean how about a basic course on finance, you know, or just a simple reading a book on, you know, investing 101 or, you know, instead of always just following uh, coaching accounts or, or celebrities or sports scientists or whatever, finding people that talk about business companies that do a good job relating information. Right. Like, would you think that that's valuable or in your opinion, like, is that not deep enough? And do should people be going to to conferences or even perhaps speaking at, uh, like finding a mentor in their network. Cause I mean, surely, surely they have friends that, that went to university with them that did something else. I know for legal advice, I have a friend that works for a railroad company doing contracts in Texas, you know, and I'll reach out to him and I don't bug him, you know, but I'm just like, Hey, try to get upskilled a little bit on this topic. Could you guide me? You know? So what did finances help you enough that you think that that would be a top three of somebody? I mean, it seems to be a core issue and a core theme in a lot of your messages and rightly so, like we're not making much money. Um, you know, we need to know how to make the most of it, but we saw people that are scared of investing.
0: So, what are your thoughts on that? A viable third option? Yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, when I think, when somebody says investing to me, I think stocks and shares. Like 100%. There's obviously a million and one other areas. I mean, we spoke on my previous podcast about my, my dad and my brother's background in architecture, which has led to my brother doing, um, getting involved in property and that's something that i've had a massive interest in but i suppose it does come back to the, to the investment side of things and i think that's uh that's yeah, massively yeah, key that's, that's so i just yeah. have to push on that you know i know yeah, it's fine. Uh, sure. i think it's worthwhile
1: and, and you're being mo- you're being really modest here you and i have had a lot of outside conversations where you have you know all of you guys are seeing the polished etiquette rob right now like rob Rob is a wealth of knowledge in a lot of these things too. And, and just to go back, I know the majority of your audience knows this, but I always try to promote good work of other people. You brought up Jan, uh, Jan Um If you guys aren't familiar with him, his social media tag, I believe, is at Science. So Y is in yes, L is in Lisa, M is in Monday, sports science. And, and you're right, he does do a phenomenal job especially during a time where, you know, I remember when I was writing conscious coaching, at, at first I was writing it almost the same way I did my graduate thesis on, on attentional focus and motor learning, you know, just very defining everything, laying this all out, like getting very, very specific, you know, how research journals are, right? Like even though there's a million of them that talk about, you know, strength has been described by the maximal amount of force necessary to produce an object or the maximum amount of force capable from the neuromuscular system or what have you, like, yeah, every research article kind of regurgitates it because they want to stay consistent with nomenclature and all that. But I remember my editor was like, Hey man, like you're writing a book that if you want it to impact people in a positive way, needs to be a combination of science and stories. And I go, yeah, I get it, man. But like, we're used to, in my profession, writing in a certain way, he goes, that's not how this needs to be written. You know, he's like, I'm going to challenge you. He's like, of course, cite your sources, do this, do everything that you're doing. But man, like you're going to put people to sleep. And he was right. You know, and it's something that Ryan Holiday, you know, one of my favorite authors talks about. He has a great quote that talks about how many academics were up in arms uh, at Malcolm Gladwell because they said he was a popularizer of this topic or that topic. And Ryan Holiday says, you know, anybody that shouts popularizer or anybody that does something like young Lemure's doing with simplifying things and making it more digestible, really what they're saying is they're angry that somebody else can reach their audience better than they can. And there's truth to that. There is, you know, and a lot of people will look at this and be like, well, that's dangerous. People are going to look at, you know, yon stuff and and they're not going to get the full methods. They're not going to get the full this. You know, it's just basically looking at uh, conclusions and what have you. No, it's not, you know, because if you're a discerning practitioner, you can go research more of this on your own. You know, like we have this consumer culture now that thinks it's not only um, that it's almost expected that people not only provide information. But that they provide every single granule of information that spawn that information off of that and then tell them which one's most important for them right now. And that's dangerous. You know, that's dangerous to have that sense of entitlement. You can't have that sense of entitlement in your career, in my opinion. You know, you've got to you're going to have to do the work regardless. Rob, like, I mean, with the podcast, tell me this, like you you talked about tweaking different microphones, doing X, Y and Z. You know, did somebody just come over and say, hey, Rob, you know what? I'm going to take care of all this for you. Why don't you just talk? No, you probably had some help you know, but for the
0: most part, did you have to figure this out on your own through your own research and due diligence? Yeah. And it's, it's funny you should say entitlement because I've actually a couple of points ago that you made, I read, uh, I wrote down free entitlement and I think people are a hundred percent entitled in the fact that they expect people to give shit for free. Like the, the, the book list that you, you mentioned, absolutely incredible. Um, that people would have the audacity to tell you that there should be more or there should be a, a, a ranking of these like it's fucking crazy but yeah i mean i mean everything that has i've just found resources like there's a there's a couple of podcasts that i listened to early doors which kind of tweaked my thinking um going back a couple of points with that kind of will I be coaching when i'm 50 and how can i put things in place and one was uh smart passive income which is a podcast talking about exactly that passive incomes um uh, the four-hour work week from tim Ferriss, obviously gone on to do the um, do his podcast, which is still um I still listen to. But yeah, it's um no one's no one's setting up the mic and no one's picking the best mic. But it's just it's seeking out the people who Uh, happy to help so there's there's a audio shop um 30 minutes from me so it was just going in and um and trying some shit about what i do he was really interested in what i was doing and i was interested in what he was doing so he was happy to kind of do some digging and find the best mic that was going to be in my price range and then helping me out with audio quality and then sorting me out with these lovely looking gray um acoustic acoustic uh stuff that I've put on the wall. Um so yeah, and and I've I've got on to help a couple of other people who've been setting up podcasts who have been kind enough to to reach out and ask my opinion. So always happy to do that. But and it's like the property thing. Like I wanted to invest a little bit of money and there's people out there who are willing to help and willing to um and willing to guide you along the way. And I think It's just been, and this is one thing that I found, especially recently having left a a permanent job to kind of go self-employed, was being really open with what you want to do and how you want to do it. And it's amazing what comes back. It's amazing what help comes back. I'm wanting to buy a house. I've got a little bit of cash on the side. Can you help me? And it's amazing what, like I say, what help does come back your way. Or I'm wanting to leave my job and go self-employed. Can you help me? yeah, absolutely. The the amount of people that I did that to and just, and it refined my message of why I wanted to do that and then come to the conclusion that this is what I want to do. And these X, Y, and Z people, A, B, and C will want to uh, will be happy to help.
1: Yeah. And you hit, I mean, all those points, especially just, you've got to find a different circle as you grow in the industry. You know, I, I learned real quick, my circle changed once when I left the team setting to go to private, you know, like and, and that that mended over time, but there were still some people that again just kind of fell and were almost kind of besotted with the grind, you know, and and all that. You'd be like, Hey man, check it in, haven't heard any, you know from you in six months, you know, how is everything? Oh, sorry, man, just been grinding up at four, you know, at home at nine thirty, back to the kids. I'm like, Oh, like, how's that going? Oh, oh do not love it. You can't get enough of it. And you're like, Well, okay, cool, like we'll just check it in on you. Um but you get coaches that are kind of besotted with the grind, and even just some that hear you say, "Oh, you got a little
0: bit of side cash, huh? Must be nice." There's a lot of coaches out. There about. <laughs> it was like another day. <laughs> go ahead. No, I was going to say it was like two grand that I'd saved up from doing the uh, the football coaching on a Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night, so it wasn't. Once you're even there, you shouldn't
1: have to explain yourself. Like it's no, okay. no, absolutely, yeah. Like, you know, and, and but that's that's the narrative, right? Like yeah, I, I had. Awesome. Uh, Sure. No doubt. Answer this real quick. And this, this ties in with the point I was going to make Mark Fitzgerald. He's a strength coach for the Anaheim ducks out here the NH uh, national hockey league. Have you had him on the show? No. Okay. So he's uh, a buddy of mine that I met in LA was nice enough that right when I went out there, he was like, Hey, you know, I got some guys that need training and everybody out here is doing just like, you know, the Instagram nonsense stuff, like not Instagram nonsense, but like the, Sand training and foot speed drills and nothing that really elicits an adaptation, right? Stuff that just looks cute. And he's like, "Can can he train with you? Like, you know, I need I need a guy that's actually going to lift him, sprint him, do these things." I'm like, "Yeah, man, no doubt." So we struck up a good friendship out there, and he was just out here last weekend. And we had put part of our training session because anybody and, and this again open to anybody. I've I've jokingly opened up what I call a bed and barbell, which just means if you're traveling through Atlanta and you need a place to crash or stay and and train like we've outfitted the garage gym and it's kind of become this like kind of cult underground fight club thing where people will stop by and train in the garage just a good chance to talk shop get some training in you know what have you and uh we were filming part of this session and i had just gotten uh a a new car uh it was a ford explorer right like and i guess somebody thought it was like a land or a range rover or a land rover social media that was like Good to see all that book money being put to good use with that fancy Range Rover. And the dude was serious. And I'm like, this is a Ford Explorer that's used. <laughs> one, two, who are you? And three, if it was a Range Rover, what do you care? Like, do you have, you know, like care about your own thing? But like, I had a friend that I think that really opened my mind to this. Is I was just telling him about our our profession one time. He's like, why do strength coaches think it's so bad to follow essentially Maslow's hierarchy of needs? You know, like you got to take care of yourself and your family and your loved ones, and you'll be better at taking care of other people. You know, there is a reason why you get on a plane and it says, Hey, change in cabin pressure, put your oxygen mask on first before others. Why? So you can help them and you're not passed out because of the cabin pressure and rendered useless, right? Like it's just very, very interesting. And, and, it feeds into our last and what you said wonderfully. Like nobody came to help you at the podcast. Some people gave you tips here and there, but you had to set it up and do it. And here's the benefit of that. That that autonomy and that accountability is what lends you to go find other things that help you from a professional development standpoint. You've put skin in the game and that changes your view on things forever. You know, does it not? Like once you put skin in the game, does it not change your view? I, I never thought I'd put an online course out there. Very uncomfortable for me to do it. You know, like I, I don't want to be in front of camera. I don't want to do that. But immediately when I knew that it reached, you know, 500 people, you know, and there's no, I, I might go speak at a conference or a clinic and, and see, you know, what 30, 40, hundred, I'm going to the UK SCA soon at the time of this recording, whatever. But like, think how much more scalable that is. And if you're really in this to help more athletes, more people, what have you. You start by scaling your message, and you have to do that first by learning new skills, and you have to do that first by finding some freedom, and you have to do that first by making some money, being creative, and getting out. Because nobody's going to come save people. ASCA is not going to, or ASCA is not going to come save any Australians that are struggling. NSCA is not going to come save us. UKSCA is not going to come save you guys. Like it's on you. And so I want to commend you for doing an awesome job of that. And especially in a world now where I think there's easily 8 million podcasts. um, I don't have any objective data on that, but like, it's such a loud world that, you know, and it's not hard for people to kind of span the breadth spectrum, but very few go as deep as you do in terms of the knowledge, the resources, the type of questions, uh, the engagement. So, you know, personally, like I want to thank you for that because it's, um, uh, you have been there along with me as I've evolved on the journey and made me look at these things a different way and separated yourself in an ethical manner.
0: Thanks, mate. I think just, just on that, it's a hundred percent about consistency. Like when I look back of the people who have come to me and said, and not not put myself on a pedestal, but who've come to me and said, oh, can you help me out with like what mic do I get? Or how can you help me out with this? And we've chatted for an hour or two, who've kind of done 10 episodes and then obviously not carried it on and I think the one thing that I've stuck to is the once a week for three years three and a half years and it's just that consistent consistency and there's been a few times like I can think of one specific time where it was coming to a Thursday a new Thursday morning was coming up the um the, the podcast had to go out I haven't got a podcast to go out I'm chatting with someone Wednesday night which is very rare that it kind of cuts that fine but and the, the recording wasn't great. The audio was terrible, and I was like, "This, I'm, I'm done. This is just too much." And then after that, a couple of weeks after that, I get a call from um, a company that wanted to sponsor the podcast. So it's just when you think you're on your ass, just when you think you're gonna bin it, pack it in, just pushing that little bit further ends up being the time that it actually starts to, 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 to kind of click, and then you kind of roll on again. It kind of rolls on. So. No, thanks that, well, mate. The, it's the very The uh, obstacle
1: comes the way. Um, absolutely. What? A couple more
0: questions and then we'll wrap it up because
1: I know that's we've right. been going on a bit. Um, where do you see the field going in the next three to five years? And that's not – you know, that doesn't need to be a hard timetable if you're like, oh, I don't know about five, but I know ten. Um, you know, where do you see this going in the future specifically about, you know, are coaches going to wake up and understand that they've got to, you know – see past just chasing the, the quote unquote big, big jobs. You know, how are they going to do that? Where are they going to get wiser? What issues are we still going to face? Questions like that, you know, like a- answer whatever you want, but like touch on those things a little bit in terms of what are going to be the major game, game changer or unique kind of ways people are going to look at things differently or act differently.
0: Mm-hmm. I'll talk about the UK because that's yeah, obviously yeah. where I know. Um, there's a couple of things. Um, the private sector, I think, is going to boom. And I think that's due to a lot um, a lot to do with the, the social media side of things and how people can publicise themselves and publicise their work. Good, bad or indifferent, that's not for me to say. But I think that definitely is going to boom. And I've spoken to quite a few people who are making a really nice living. And again, it's not good, bad or indifferent, but working with players that are, at- are already attached to clubs but working privately outside the club with them. Again, it's not for me to say that's good, bad, or not, or not, but I think that will boom that side of things. Second thing, um, universities here, obviously, not as nothing like what you've got over there, but I think that industry will get bigger. And we've seen by a couple of the Instagram stories that I put out the other day, comparing the remunerations of SNC coaches in universities compared to those in pro football. And from my experience working in university, unbelievable flexibility in your working. That again, just my experience. Decent remuneration, really good really good holidays. Like you're not getting 15 days a year, like you're getting pro sport that you have to take between the first and the fifteenth of June. Like you're getting bank holidays off. The first bank holiday I had off in a university was incredible. So I think that will that industry over here will will get bigger. And the third, which I think probably may take a little bit longer, but I think there's a, an unbelievable opportunity for a number of people to get involved, and that's the schools. That's school strength and conditioning. And there's a couple of people who I know out there who were who are doing this and have been doing this for some time. Uh, James Baker, gone on from um, an SNC coach, then qualifying as a teacher, but then bringing his SNC expertise and kind of selling that to the school. And then obviously going over to uh, over to Qatar at aspire. there's them kind of opportunities that aren't just going to present themselves. They're not just going to be on UK sport or UKC website as a job. They've got to be they've got to be um, molded and I think them, them kind of people who are willing to put in the work put in the, be consistent and mold something are the ones that are going to be in five, ten years. The ones who you're going to go wow they're doing really good they're doing really well and that's because 10 years ago they found saw sort opportunity that they could manipulate and mold and and carve out for themselves like if you're waiting on waiting on ukc website or uk sport website for a job you're a year too late so there are a couple of the areas the private sector over here the universities and schools 100 percent.
1: love it yeah and i'll even add <coughs> and, and you're right james done incredible. He's such a top-notch guy. Um, I'll, I'll even add this: one thing that I got involved with a year and a half ago is a not-for-profit organization that works with kids in in underserved communities. So kids that you know really can't afford any kind of training, coaching. Some of them can't even afford to get involved with like youth sports just because really broke families. A lot of them are on the street, what have you. A good friend of mine named Kara Scholl, who's based out of New York City, started that, and I got on the board right away. Um, cause I wanted to help her with that. And that was something that I was super scared to get involved with. Cause again, all I've ever done prior to any of this stuff, especially the last two, two and a half years is coach, you know, coach, and then, you know, speak at clinics and conferences or what have you, but, you know, being able to get on a chance at a, a board on that and, and help with it. And she wants more people involved. This is something she wants to spread well beyond, you know, the United States and New York city. So, um, again, apologies for plugging this, but I've had a lot of coaches that have responded and want to get involved with helping, helping more youth athletes and, and people that are underserved and in terrible just communities that don't have this access. Cause we all know that the difference it can make in their life. So if you guys just look up movement and then the number two, and then just be movement to be, or you can also look at my Instagram uh, on the philanthropy tab, you'll be able to see that and reach out to her directly. But a lot of kids out there definitely need help. And this isn't one of those like sponsor a child commercials. This is like, you actually get- like, <laughs> You know, this is like a physical development kind of thing. And this is a woman who left left a well-paying job, went out on her own, is trying to grow this on her own, has very limited help. So if you do have specialized expertise or connections in that area, please reach out to her. She's doing great work. Again, movement to be. I think that's solid, Rob. You know, I think, you know, and this question doesn't need to, to be answered. It's more of a challenge to the audience and something to reflect on is, you know, we've talked about a lot of different opinions. And, and things. And of course, again, for anybody, the politically correct crowd out there, understand that these are all just our opinions, our, our thoughts. We have the right to change them at any time. We'll learn. We're not perfect. So, you know, you don't need to take to Twitter and freak out. If you do, just know you're not going to get a response. Um, but, you know, it's worth asking everybody, like, what what are coaches wanting? What does the field want? I don't want to say industry, because There are certain people that get sensitive and say this isn't an industry and industry is all about making money so we'll say field you know what what does the field want need in your opinion you know like what are coaches wanting and i know coaches say well i just want to get people stronger i just want to do my job or i want to win a championship or i want to be part of a championship culture like get beyond that like what do you as an individual want for your life for your family for your athletes for all of that are you taking action on it how What are non-traditional routes you'd recommend other people take and share that information, share that information and get more involved because it's going to make the entire field better. Um, It's going to broaden our horizons. We're a very, very, very young field. Yes, other industries have this issue, uh, uh, poor pay, job scarcity, all that, but they've been around a lot longer. And so there's a lot more options that have been created for them and they're not demonized the same way. You know, like there's not a lot of other professions that, you know, I have a dentist that's on social media. And I, I asked him, I go, hey, do you ever get uh, like uh, texts or, or tweets or anything like of another dentist saying that he pulled more <laughs> wisdom teeth from you? You know, he's like, no, like, what are you talking about? I go, so you don't get other like dentists coming at you? He's like, no, like, what? And so let's evolve a little bit there. And that's the challenge. So, what are coaches wanting? What does the field really need? How are we spreading that information? Because it will make us better at our jobs in the long term. And on the other hand, just fixating on coaching and performance and things alone is not necessarily going to help you, you know, put yourself in a position that when the worst happens and it will happen, you will get fired. You will have to change jobs. Something something will happen in all of our lives. What are you doing to be prepared for it? So that's what we'll leave with. Rob, well, thank you again for one, letting me hijack your show. Thanks for everybody listening. I know that I have a voice. It sounds like I chew glass on a regular basis, um, you know. And again, I know that I'm not always the most politically correct, but I think we both you want to evoke positive change here. So thank you again. Thanks to everybody listening, and uh, thanks for the difference that you've made in my life and my career.
0: My pleasure, and thank you for uh, agreeing to do this on reasonably short notice and crowbar into a very busy schedule. And I will. Uh, I'll see you at UKCA next week absolutely all right thanks again thanks mate thanks for tuning in to episode 200 of the Pacey performance podcast massive thanks to brett for agreeing to and giving up his time to do the interview i knew it'd be the right guy to do it put me out of my comfort zone and ask some difficult questions uh, and ask some good questions so thank you to brett for giving up his time also big thanks to val performance and fatigue science for sponsoring this episode today And obviously a massive thanks to you guys for fully supporting the podcast throughout for the last nearly five years. So hopefully this continues. Uh, If people keep listening, I'll keep on doing it. So any feedback you've got about anything to do with the podcast, whether this episode or previous episodes or future episodes, please give me a shout. So thanks again for tuning in and I will speak to you next week.